take our Bibles once again and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, the first nine verses, the last two of this passage will be our text, verses 8 and 9, as we consider in this second part, especially thinking on the things that are before us, the things that are true and so on, and then doing and then receiving as a blessing the presence of God, the God of peace itself and himself. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, and I urge you also to companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, Whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me. These do, and the God of peace will be with you. As far we read from this word of God, this lovely word of God, speaking of lovely things and the lovely and blessed calling to think on them, and to rejoice in the prospect of the God of peace being with us. So I ask again, how are things? How are things with you? How are you? How are you in the midst of the things? From about 10 o'clock this morning till now, how has it been going? How are the things of your Sabbath day? How's the situation of your Sabbath day? Uh, what's the circumstances that you've gone through today? What have you been thinking about today? Hopefully something of the sermon. The sermon introduces to us wonderful things to think about and that we are to think about in the midst of all the things of life. We know the Bible in other places reminds us that it's true. We must go through different in various circumstances, some hard ones in life. And this is the way of God for us as his people. This world is like a wilderness to us, and we are those who seek the things above and so on. So this text of ours is not a unique theme of the scripture. In fact, it's a lovely theme that is repeated over and over. Think of things above and beyond what you see. And want to focus now on thinking of these things. That's what we're to do. All these eight things that are mentioned, these things divine, we are to meditate upon or to think upon. The word there for think or meditate 
is from the word uh, lagidzatai or lagidzomai, from which we get our word logos or logic. It is the same root of the word logos. In the beginning was the logos, that's the word, the word of God. So our lagidzomaiing has something to do with the logos, with logic, with reasoning from the scriptures based on what God has said. That's true logic. The starting point is the word of God and everything else ought to follow logically, biblically, if we are to be those who are faithful to God and who uh, conclude truth from all that is given to us logically in the revelation of the word of God. And so we want to consider that lagidzomaiing, that reasoning, that faithful meditation and thinking upon the things that are before us, which we said are glorious things, truth and nobility and things that are just and things that are pure, things that are lovely and of good report and virtue and praiseworthy. All these things are divine. They take us to God himself and they are centered on the revelation of God in Christ Jesus, these things. And so we have things like forgiveness of sins, the things that we've seen in Paul and so on, and that the Philippians did. And they saw that Paul was a reconciled man for whom to live was Christ and to die is gain. And all of this we've said before. I want in this first point, however, to understand that thinking in the light of believing and of the necessity of believing if we are to think straight because there's some things that can be problematic for us and keep us from thinking and focusing on our thinking on the things that are mentioned in our text, the things of God and of Christ and of the gospel. I'm referring to the bad things. I just mentioned them uh, in the first sermon, but want to expound that. First of all, the, the problems of the bad things in our life, at least the things that are hurting to us, bad physically, bad uh, and so that we suffer, and these things can deter us and hinder us from thinking on the things above because here below, we just can't get going in the morning or we can't get out of bed or there's a disease and there's some debilitation, maybe when we're even young. And it ought not to be. Maybe there's death, as we've experienced as a congregation in its relation this past week. There's division. There's problems in home, problems in our soul, problems in family, problem in church and churches and federations, in society. It's all around us. And so the question is, how can this be possible that we would think upon things that are true. Is it maybe that the apostle just saying, well, this is all in the future. The things, the truth will win out and you don't see it now and you can't know it now. It's a bunch of politics now. But we'll, we'll know the things that are true in the future and the things that are noble, well, you just can't find them on the Supreme Court. And I just use an example or in the state of Texas or in the capital of the United States. And... You, you just can't find them now. It's to come. And in our own life, we have an injustice done against us or 
uh, a repetition of them and so on, and we can't expect to have justice here in this earth. So we're thinking upon what will come, and we're hoping that it will come, or we're believing that it will come, but, but not now. So that's a real question, isn't it? The Apostle Paul, of course, would be eminently practical here because he's a theologian, he's a true one, and true theologians have to do with the truth of Jesus on the ground and his body on the ground. That's what life is all about. When Jesus comes, it's God on the ground with us, and so he makes this church that's on the ground on his behalf, and he expects that it will be in, I speak humanly, so as divine as he is, as divine as humans can be in partaking of the divine nature, that's what I mean, not God's, but on his behalf and in his image. So I believe, beloved, that even in the hard things of life, in the earthly things of life, we are called here to think upon what is true in them what God is doing in them in your life, what God is doing to make you noble, to make you see justice, even in the hard things, and to see purity and to know purity and to be pure in the midst of the unchastity of our times. God here is speaking of things that are true today. And true for the Christian, blessings for the Christian. And in order for us to think upon these things, I want to remind you that we need to believe on these things. Believing takes us to the unobservable truth, though everything that's seen seems to belie the fact, these eight facts, the one fact of Jesus and God incarnate. Faith takes us right to God. That's what faith does. The great gift, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith to see the kingdom that comes, Jesus says, not with observation. It comes in this nasty now and now, comes via a cross and suffering for Jesus' sake Oh, if we'd only see that. So necessary, in order to wend our way through the thickets of life and to do more than hobble, but to walk uprightly, even to run, faith, a faith meditation, a faith thinking is so very important. And then, of course, in the midst of these nasty things, and I say this word not at all flippantly, they're nasty. We must be those who actually think by faith, not just let go and let God, but think in light of the Bible. Reason from the scripture, as we'll see, this yields doing as well as believing and thinking but reasoning from the scripture by faith in the reality that is there. For example, it is given to us not only to believe on the Lord, but also to suffer for his sake, Philippians 1.29. Sometimes I use that as my text all the day long. My text given to me 
Maybe you do too. Given to believe, that's good, and given to suffer. Why? Well, as Paul says, that he might be, by his suffering, conformed to the sufferings of Christ somehow on his behalf to say, I am Jesus Christ's. I belong to him. That's why I am here. That's why I, I bear a cross. Because he lives after the cross. His cross was a success. The victory that overcomes the world. So that in this world we shall have much tribulation. But he's been given the victory and we in him. That's how you reason by faith in scripture light. Of your past, of the present and of the future. Of gospel light. These things that are true in God's faithfulness and God's nobility and God's justice and purity and so on, they stand out in bold relief to all these cruddy things. Well, then the good things, too, and this is why we're needing faith in our thinking. There's good things that are not the good things that are meant here. And sadly, which many think are meant here, whatever things are true that Dostoevsky writes about or Mozart composes about or Shakespeare plays about. Whatsoever things are noble as the kings of England, people are thinking, oh, we can think on those things. The things of humanity, not just the things of creation, that would get us to God, wouldn't it? That's a revelation of God, but the things of culture. This is not the things of culture here. These are not the things of mere culture. Now, to be sure, we can enjoy the good gifts of the earth and the good products and technology and refrigerators as we experienced the past week, having been without one for a week. Try that. And I lost myself because I was silly. These things are beyond culture. They're things of God. As we said this morning, they're things of the gospel that we learned and received and heard and saw in Paul. And the important thing to remember about Paul was that he knew his culture, he knew the poets, he knew them at Athens, and he could contend with the Athenian philosophers and so on with the gospel. But he is not known for a cult, to be a cultured man. That was not his expertise. That was not his goal. He was not about that. He was a Christian man. And that's the important thing here. This is not a, some manifesto of some communist or some capitalist. This is not someone who's pro the arts and pro Hollywood and so on. But it's someone who's pro Jesus. This is the point here. And in our believing thinking and thinking and believing in light of the Bible, let's all remember that. How precious little is the Bible speaks of mere culture and of the products of man. In fact, let us remember 
But these things we are to meditate upon and think upon and rejoice in God for and uh, through which the God of peace will dwell with us are not even things necessarily that please God. That is, the things of culture. The things of culture are, as they're products of men, not pleasing to God if they're not done in faith. Because the Bible says whatever is not of faith is not pleasing to God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so certainly we're not called here to think about things that don't please God. If our team wins, no matter that they're unbelieving, no matter that they skip out on church because you got to play on Sunday. God's not pleased. It's striking how little of religion pleases God, too. If you look at the best, the cream of the crop, the Pharisees, all of their prayers, all of their repetitions of prayers, all of their almsgiving to be seen of men was distasteful and disgusting to God. The Old Testament, God is, as well said he despised the offerings of Israel. Why? Because their heart was not right with God. And in fact, this one thing that's so counterintuitive is God pleased with the broken spirit and the contrite heart, the man with nothing, the woman with nothing, the family at their wit's end, and yet is crying to God, this pleases God as they approach him. So we remember that we're not to focus on the evil things as if we're going to be down in the dumps or even uh, good things that are not truly as good as these things are, these gospel things. You do that, beloved? That's so important. That we're not down in the mire on that hand. We're not over here just with the humanists on the other hand. Every humanist loves a man who gives to the poor, I suppose, who helps to broker peace. Right. But when this man does this in the name of man, you know what that's part of? It's part of the kingdom of Babel, the Babylon of the Bible, a society and culture without God. And the danger of this, even when evangelicals try to link arms with those who are stuck on culture without God, is that the agenda is changed and set People think that this is as high as we go, or this is at least an aspect of our living and so on that's very, very important. It's part of this word here. And they do that, establish a kingdom that's kind of a kingdom and a civilization that's kind of Christian, maybe Christianized, but something with which God is not pleased at all. Because you see, beloved, God builds from the cross up 
The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. The foundation of the kingdom is Jesus Christ and blood and forgiveness. And the Great Commission is not to go out and make sure everybody knows the culture, but the Great Commission is to go out and make disciples who call upon the name of God and who are baptized into the name of the triune God. It was always an error when the kingdom of heaven was seen to be seen. And so in the Middle Ages, they baptized at the edge of the sword. They converted the heathen, the Vikings, and everybody else in the name of the sword with power. They became Christian nations which were not Christian. They were fake Christian nations. This was the blight upon the church as much even as some suggest as Constantine's conversion and when Christianity became acceptable and even legal in the preferred religion of the Roman Empire. The kingdom of heaven comes not with observation in order to enjoy, to appreciate, to grow in the truth of these things that are true and noble and just and of good report and praiseworthy to God. We have to have faith in the truth of what God is doing in the earth, in his church, through his church, to establish his kingdom and for the glory of his name, working in sinners to save them, to convert them, to praise him. Believe on those things and the world will pass you by and the evangelical world will shake their head and say, you guys are just so out of touch. Join with us in the culture wars. Let's have a movement here. Truly, we can agree with the heathen even, the best of them, and what is true and noble, lovely, and so on. And again, they'll say, you know what? The theologians will say, you know what? You're just Anabaptist. Here's a word that's rare. In other words, it's, you're just like the mid-century, mid, um, the middle age people, the right wing of the Protestant Reformation, who denied infant baptism not only, but they denied the significance of the state and of culture, and they fled the world. So to be called an Anabaptist today would be to be called someone who's engaging in world flight. Is that what you're doing, Reverend Dick? Someone might say. You're advocating that we just fly from the world. We don't appreciate culture. We, we don't sing in Handel's Messiah, and we, we don't do anything to better the society in which we live. Of course not. I'm not saying that. And we are, to, we are to enjoy, of course, all the good gifts that God gives in culture, as I said before. But the point here is to engage in an activity of faith and of reasoning from the scripture whereby we advance in holiness and know the God of peace with us. That's the point. And beloved, the last I heard and the first thing I heard, the greatest thing to think upon is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' blood. Something you don't paint on a canvas. And something of which no poet merely came up with but God came down with it. That's the thing that's true. 
and the thing that moved Paul more than anyone else. You'll find throughout the pages of Philippians and in all the epistles of Paul, not I am a man who's of Mozart, of course, to speak anachronistically, he wasn't born yet. But he was constantly saying, I am a man who is Christ's man and in his service. That's Paul, the Paul we know. That's the thing that the Philippians received from him and learned of him and saw in him. They saw him believing in prison. They saw him dealing with things in the love of God with the forthrightness of Jesus and the boldness of a man set on fire of the Holy Ghost. That should be the result of our contemplation. In fact, this leads to the doing, the doing. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Very important word there, of course. A very important word for Christianity. We believers are doers of the word. In fact, if the first part of the passage leading us to think upon the things that are in the gospel and are divine and are forever and are kingdom things and so on, if that's a worldview, and it is, Paul is also teaching a world do here. These things do. By worldview, I mean that the blessing of thinking upon things that are true by faith and in the light of the word, things that are noble and just of God and blessings of salvation, is that you'll be able to see all of the world and you'll be able to value the world appropriately. You'll say to all the treasures of the kings of Egypt and so on, that's nothing compared to what I have in Jesus. You'll be able to appreciate the things of the earth all the more because they're freely given to you as well as uh, the blessings of salvation itself. But God gives all things to us to be used and used appropriately and moderately and so on. But you'll be able to view history and view the, the war and the, the fracas in the Middle East and you'll be able to see what's going on there in light of the Bible that says Jesus is on the throne. That's your worldview. And if you're thinking and meditating upon all of these things of the Scripture and of the sovereignty of God and the greatness of the blessings that are from the cross and come by the application of the Holy Spirit of Christ's merits to the souls of the people of God, you will surely be able to understand not only your little place in the kingdom, but God's big place in this whole universe. Worldview. Biblical view, reformed worldview, the light of God's work in the church, making the creeds and leading us to establish doctrines. You'll be able to see things in light of total depravity, for one thing. A good reformed doctrine derived from the scriptures that helps us to see underneath what's going on in the motives of people, 
and the shenanigans and so on, and to be humble about it because we know, but for the grace of God, we're that sinful. We're that sinful. But we'll do as well. That is, if we just believe and think about things like a sculpture, we're thinkers, and we don't do anything, we're a bunch of hypocrites. We are. Worldview without world do is as hypocritical as the hypocrites that James points out in the book of James, where he says that faith without works is dead. Faith is demonstrated in the works of a believer. And indeed, what's your world do, beloved? What's your doing look like? It's striking how Jesus speaks of this very simply saying his words in Matthew 25. When do you visit me on the day of days, the sheep and the goats are separated. The goats were those who didn't do a thing. They had their theology, maybe, but they didn't visit the sick, they didn't go to the prisons, they didn't show mercy, and so on. He'll say, you know, you're the goats, you're on my left hand. The sheep are on my right who didn't even realize what they were doing and that they were doing it to Jesus. What about our doing? There's a lot that we can say here, isn't there? A lot you can say. You're educated to say something. That's a good thing. That's a part of our witness. We must say something to explain how we live. But doing, oh, doing, that's the action of Christianity upon the heart. Now, what's the doing? Well, the doing may be simply repenting, and it ought to be. Often praying, it ought to be, without any care, rejoicing in the Lord, being anxious for nothing, and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting our requests be made known to God, even before he answers with thanksgiving, repenting and praying, activities of believing, fruit of the Holy Spirit, And then doing whatever you're given to do in the name of God. Engaging in culture, however God gives you to do that. Loving the neighbor, of course. Loving God and loving the neighbor, yes. Doing your work well, not complaining. This is doing what you're believing. You see, because you've read it in the scriptures the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily to the Lord and not unto men. I'm going to do it. You believe it? This is the, the noble thing of the Bible, the noble thing of work. It sanctifies work. It makes it a calling. Well, then, push that broom. Bust that tray. Work in that factory. Nurse. Build. Do the computer. Be a mom and a grandmom teacher, chemical guy, book guy, whatever is in this congregation and then some.
do it. Do what? Do Christianity. In your marriages, you have a problem among your friends from whom you're estranged. Do the Christianity thing. It's called be reconciled. That's what we call sinners to do here. And if people are under the discipline of the church, it's a call to remember Jesus Christ. He's far more worthy than our personal cause, in our opinion, is Jesus. You believe on all these pure and lovely and good report, gospel report things? Be doers. Do the hardest thing. Show your vulnerability and saying, I am sorry, forgive me. You see, that's exposing you for the weak person you are and the great sinner you are. Dare you. The gospel dares us to be that real. Stop sneaking around. Be a man of God, a woman of God. So that the elders come to your house. Uh-oh. Or you say, come. Because we know doing Christianity is respecting authorities and loving the fact that God cares for us that way. I hope you love that, beloved. It's so very important. The supervision of Christ through men who know you and care for you and shepherd you and it would die for you. It's real. It's real. So the things which we've learned and received and heard and seen in apostles and seen in one another then what we think upon and what we can be doing in this church. And there's this wonderful promise. The God of peace will be with us. It's striking that in one of the first admonitions of this passage in Philippians 4, we're called to be anxious for nothing or to pray. The blessing is that the peace of God, who's, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Here, as a result of our thinking on things and doing the gospel things, the God of peace is with us. Not just the peace of God, but the God of peace. Not sure how significant that is, but the Holy Spirit doesn't make any mistakes. There's no typographical errors. God of peace. What else could we want? And it's all through this responding to the work of the Spirit intentionally by thinking, not just emoting, floating, emoting, whatever ing. Deciding 
to be a student of the word, discipled by the word, is what is being taught here. Believing God at his word and then responding in your life so that your, your Christianity is not a myth or fake or only in word. But the God of peace then is with us. And note, it's not the alcohol of peace, not the majority opinion of peace, to be liked by your friends, not anything else that could be something that would stir you and make you peaceful or happy, comfortable. It's the God of peace. Greatest, greatest blessing there can be, the presence of God. You see that? Maybe what explains your lack of power in your life and the power of the presence of the God of peace and your lack of assurance is exactly because you're, you're not following here as the apostle finally says to the Philippians, now here's a list. And you know it's all about Jesus. You know it's a divine thing. It's about Jesus, who is God with us. Now you think on these things, you live accordingly, and you, you straighten out your life, you get rid of all the inconsistencies. And maybe you're not doing that. Maybe I'm not doing that. To the degree I'm not doing that, I'm not knowing that presence of the God of peace. I have maybe a peace, but there's a kind of an uneasy feeling. That's your conscience and my conscience, beloved. Listen to your conscience. I hope that some of you have an uneasy feeling right now that God is saying something to you and discovering anew to you your own sinfulness and mine, too. The preacher gets it both barrels, too, you know. There's some link, not automatic, not meritorious, between our thinking upon the things that God says we're to think upon and not dwelling on the evil and, and rising only so high as humans can rise, but really thinking from the top down and from the divine to the human, the things of the gospel. There's something here that's so discovering of our sin when we don't do these things. Or we, we compromise. Well, whatever is kind of true, that's okay. Whatever part of Friday night was kind of lovely, that's all right. I had a good three hours, and then it all went south. You know? Or you try to dice things up, and you say, whatever is true... Partially, whatever is noble, yeah, but it's not so of good report. And you mix all these things up and you, you kind of divide them where Paul seems to be uniting them here. If it's true, it's going to be honest. If it's praiseworthy, it's going to be true. And you can't just have something here that has no mooring in the truth. You can't have something that's just your opinion and not what God has said is wisdom. Oh, beloved congregation, we need to be this kind of a flock, a Philippian Comstock Park flock that will heed the final word of the Apostle Paul. 
for our peace. And that's precisely what God wants here and wants through the elders who are going to visit you, that you know the God of peace in your homes, in your hearts, in your soul, and forever. Congregation, may we be a people who is glorying always in the God of peace with us. And may we be at peace with one another, with life circumstances, always looking up and forward and at the word and knowing all is well. Amen. We thank you, Father, that you are God and our God and Father. We pray for your peace. We pray to know that you love us. We pray to know that you are working in this world as the King and as the Savior. And you're accomplishing your good purpose. You're blessing your people. You're calling them out of darkness into your light, marvelous light. You're giving us faith to think upon things of the gospel and of eternity, and to do that wonderful truth that we're called to do, to be your people on the earth, faithful to the end. Oh, bless us all. Lord, may we not be flagging in our zeal to be full of good works and kindness. We love one another, love our families, love the neighbor, Love opportunities to serve and be tireless in our energy for the kingdom. Fill us, Lord, with your spirit. We are not sufficient for these things. You are. You are God, after all, and our God, our God of peace, whom we adore forever. Amen.